0: All right, so just a uh, housekeeping thing here. This is uh, after today, next Sunday is um, church picnic, so we won't have Sunday evening service next week. Uh, The following week is Labor Day weekend, and so we won't have Sunday evening service then. And the following week is is fall kickoff, so we won't have Sunday evening service then. So we're going to have three weeks off after tonight. And um, I was really struggling with this as we, uh, in Exodus 19, which has has 25 verses, and wanted to cover all of that. So we just dive right into the Ten Commandments when we came back. But um, early this afternoon, I decided that was impossible um, to cover all of this. So uh, we are on verses one through eight today, um, which if you if you have your ESV, it all fits under. Uh, the same heading, which is Israel out m- at Mount Sinai, which um, that's just the start of that. Israel will be at my, Mount Sinai for a long time. But the chapter breaks in the ESV are different from, they don't have a chapter, or I mean a paragraph break at uh, verse 8, but some do, and I, I do think it fits better. And so we are going to uh, go through verse 8 tonight so review again for last week we we were in the last part of Exodus 18 uh, under the uh, under the heading working hard and humility uh, making the point that that working hard isn't always good uh, but that God provides a way to make working hard good and humility makes working hard easier and and this is the passage just a few verses from Exodus 18, and if you were here, you will remember it pretty quickly, and if you weren't, you probably are familiar with the story. So, uh, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Mo- Moses from morning till evening. So, uh, Moses' his father-in-law has just, has just gotten there, and and when he sees this, he asked Moses the question, Why are you doing what you're doing, basically? And although Moses has a good answer for that, everything that he's doing is important, his father-in-law responds this way. What you're doing is not good uh, because you are going to wear yourself out and you are going to wear the people out by doing what you are doing. And so uh, he will wear them both out if he does that. And, And so... What he does then, what what Jethro does, is give advice to Moses. And part of that advice advice is clarifying what his role should be. And let others participate in, in the work as well. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk, and what they must do. So that is what Moses is going to do. Moses takes his father-in-law's advice, and he's going to do that, and he's going to start doing that right away. This this part of of Exodus jumps right into it, follows logically from that, that that Moses becomes the people's representative before God. Always was, but in a uh, more pronounced way here. So we'll uh, begin by reading through Exodus nineteen one through 8, and then we will look at it in a little bit more detail, but we'll read through the first eight verses of Exodus 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day They came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they set out from Rephidim, and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness there, and there Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you out to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord, So you see Moses acting in the way as, as, as the people's representative. So we'll begin to look at that a little bit more, more carefully, and we're going to, to pay most attention to verses 5 and the verse first part of verse 6, which read this way. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So based on that, uh, and a little bit more, we'll, we'll point it this way. Notice what, they have to, what they're supposed to do. Obey his voice and keep his covenant. So, uh, thesis, the provisions of God's covenant are fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. So, um, and we'll have three points under that. The first one is, you shall be my treasured possession. The second one, you shall be a kingdom of priests. And the third one, you shall be a holy nation. So, you might say, from this thesis, where, how do you get that out of Exodus 19? Um, no mention of Jesus Christ in this passage directly. Well, last week, uh, we have a Bible reading group that we have on Saturday mornings, and, and we happen to be in, uh, not yesterday, this would have been a week ago, we were in, we were in 1 Peter chapter 2. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes directly about this passage. Here's what he writes. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. A royal priesthood, kingdom of priests, holy nation, people for His own possession, treasured possession. Right out of Exodus 19, and Peter's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers of Jesus Christ. He's writing to followers of Jesus Christ. He's writing to. He's writing to disciples. Uh, that's what he's doing. So the provisions of God's covenant are fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. So back to Exodus 19. On the third new moon. Now if you have something other than New American Stan- or than ESV, it probably doesn't say that. It probably says in the third month. Um, so they are exactly the same words. A new moon and, and month would, would be exactly the same. So the ESV says on the third new moon, uh, New American Standard, in the third month, uh, and the NIV in the, on the first day of the third month, which is they're getting that from the rest of the verse, on that very day. Uh, but the ESV here generally follows, in the, for the first few verses, even the beginning of this this part of Exodus 19, they follow... Uh, the, the version that that Randy referred to this morning, the Jewish Publication Society Tanakh, so it's the it's the Jewish English translation of the Jewish Publication Society, and they're and they're really following pretty closely ESV is what the way that they break up this this um, this chapter at least at the beginning of it, the first several verses, um, but. Uh, on the third new moon, on that very day, okay, so that's where NIV gets the, the, f- the first uh, of the month. Well, John Calvin thinks that, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean the first of the month. What he thinks that on that day means has to do with this. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mountain. So they did all that in one day, on the day that they came out of Rephidim. In other words, they were already close, which we know that they were, to Sinai, but Calvin would say less than a day's journey then, enough time to pull up camp and and, and make camp again. Um, and so this is the big point, though, in, in these in these first couple of verses. There Israel encamped before the mountain. So that's the main point in these couple of verses. So they are in front of Mount Sinai, which is also Mount Horeb, which if you remember, that is the place of the burning bush. That is where God appears to uh, Moses, And in response to Moses' question, um, this question from Moses, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so the Lord responds to that question this way. But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So this is, this is God fulfilling his promise to Moses. He brings them to the mountain, to the very mountain where he first met him at the burning bush. And so that's where they are camped. So he, he fulfills his promise to bring them back. This is also the place of the Ten Commandments um, and, and much more, Mount Sinai. Where Israel will be for about a year, um, but but somebody put it this way. I think it was uh, Peter Anns put it this way. They'll be there for fifty nine chapters. <laughs> That's how long they're going to be at, at Mount Sinai. So uh, it ends. They stay at Mount Sinai until sometimes late in Numbers. And uh, one point here about the ESV translation the esv is this again follows the jps that i ma- mentioned the Tanakh. they end this sentence or this 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 verse with a comma instead of a period the others don't do that and because they're they're following the jps they're they're bringing over their this thing that their israel camped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. So other translations uh, break the the sentence at the end of verse 2 and start a new thought here, which I actually think makes more sense to start a new thought here, While that Moses went up to God and the Lord called him out of the mountain, saying. So uh, anyway, the Lord calls Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. So we don't really know for sure if Moses expected to meet the Lord on that place or if he expected the Lord to to call out to him there. But don't forget that this is the place um, somewhere on this mountain of the burning bush or in the neighborhood of this mountain. So, So where he does call him, Moses, Moses, take off your sandals. The ground that you're standing on is holy ground. Uh, don't come near to here. It's also the place where he says, "I am who I am." Go tell the people of Israel, "I am sent you." So it's also that place. So, so Moses now uh, is going to relay a new message from God to the people, and and here it is. You yourselves have seen. What I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So, so Moses is to remind the people of this again. They've just been through this. They've just been through. They're, they're probably not three full months removed from the last of the plagues from when they came out of Egypt. They're less than that, less than three months but God is repeating this to him again. He has Moses to repeat this to them again. Tell them again. Remind them that they've seen what has happened here. And God's big on repetition because he knows how quickly we tend to forget things. Um, and not only forget things, but by accident, but sometimes deliberately forget things, ignoring things on purpose. But two things. He's supposed to remind them what the Lord did to the Egyptians and what the Lord did for Israel. So remind them of two things, and he phrases it a new way, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now we right away get this image of an eagle who carries its young on its wings, and we think that's a really neat image that, that God is actually showing his protection and and his Care for the people, which is true. But at the end of that, we don't get distracted by the eagle's wings and, and why he did it. God does this for a reason to bring you to myself. That's why God bears them on eagle's wings to bring them to himself. So he doesn't save them for only the purpose of saving them, he saves them because he has another purpose which is to make them his people. So here's where we are focusing most of our time. So, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my company. Now therefore, therefore because of this, because you saw me do this to the Egyptians... Because you saw how I bore you on eagles' wings, because I brought you to myself, because of those things, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, if you will indeed... (laughs) Obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So, you caught that at the beginning. Now, therefore, if. If. You will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. So it sounds pretty conditional, doesn't it? I mean, when we think of God's covenant, don't we think that it's unconditional? Well, God is completely faithful to his covenant. He is completely faithful to his word. He is completely faithful to every promise. And one of those is this, if. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession among all the peoples. So we probably understand what if you will indeed obey my voice means. But what does it mean if you will keep my covenant? What does that mean? Well, the word keep means can also be translated observe, so if you will observe my my covenant, it can be translated guard, if you will guard my covenant, if you will keep my covenant, but what does it mean if you will keep my covenant? So does it mean that, that there's a new covenant that is in place on that he's going to put in place on Mount Sinai because he hasn't given them a new covenant? More likely what it is is that this is talking about the covenant that God made with their forefathers, with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, which he is now going to, uh, as, as Ann's put it, deepen it. It's the same covenant, but it is going to uh, be much more detailed. So, the new covenant, not the new covenant. Right? This is the same covenant for the next 59 chapters. Right? So if you will indeed keep, obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession, etc. So remember at, at the start of this we said that this is Exodus is largely about how God fulfills his promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And and God's covenant is revealed over time, but it really begins with this promise that when we were studying Genesis, read this over and over again. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is a continuation and a deepening of that that covenant, because as it was revealed to Moses or to Abraham, it, it did that as well. So, obey my voice and keep my covenant are not two separate things. i heard something like this this morning here quite often from the pulpit that what you do with God's words you do with God right. So what you do with God's words with his instructions you do with God you do with his covenant. So we all know that Israel was not very good at obeying over time of keeping the covenant. So so the if here. If therefore, or if you will indeed obey my voice, the if seems pretty iffy. Well, Jesus tells us that that if we love him, we're going to keep his commandments. Um, And some of us aren't very good at that either. Right? So what do we, what hope do we have of ever being God's treasured possession, kingdom of priests, and holy nation? Well, the provisions of God's covenant are fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. And there is our hope, right? The promises, the covenant are fulfilled through Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ, and he keeps the covenant perfectly. Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We're familiar with this. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself By becoming obedient, he obeyed his voice. By being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So he obeyed for us. He substituted his obedience for our lack of obedience the provisions of god's covenant are fulfilled in and through jesus christ and you, you, we could put it this way the provisions of god's covenant are fulfilled only through in and through jesus christ and if so the first point is you shall be my treasured possession So now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and my covenant, you will be three things. You will be, you shall be my treasured possession. So so what does this mean? First of all, it's never used for, in the Old Testament, for a people other than Israel. So it's only used of Israel uh, in the Old Testament. And it means pretty much what it says, it, what, it, what we would think it would mean from the, the English translation. It is a treasured possession. The NIV actually, I think, captures this meaning better than than uh, the other major translations, um, not quite as literally. Um, where, where we say, or we read in the ESV, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. So, in other words, there are a bunch of peoples, and people, and you're the treasured possession, but uh, NIV puts it this way. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. In other words, you're the only treasured possession I have. There's no, there's no number two. Out of all the, na- all the nations, you're the only one. You're the only one that is my treasured possession. And it is a good thing to be the Lord's treasured possession because he is loyal, He's very loyal to his people. So here's how he puts it um, in Isaiah 43. For I am the Lord your God... The Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I have given Egypt as your ransom and Cush and Sivah as in your place. And here's why. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. So that's what God says. But Israel isn't faithful, right? But it is through Jesus, one Israelite, that this promise, this covenant has been fulfilled. So that that people become, people of faith become a treasured possession. So this is is from that same, earlier in that passage from 1 Peter that, that I read about the treasured possession, or for God's own possession. And here's how it starts. As you come to him, so that's as you come to Jesus Christ, it's talking about a living stone, rejected by man, but in sight of God, chosen and precious, The provisions of God's covenant are fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the people, for all the earth is mine. And second, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. So again a kingdom of priests to me or for me so so what is that what does that mean so this is the only time that this is this is used in the old testament so the only time it it ever says kingdom of priests so so it's hard to know exactly what it means but but we know what priests do don't we so they we know they offer sacrifices we know that they are there to teach in the Old Testament. We know that they're supposed to be speak for God, interpret his word. We know they're supposed to be intermediators, intermediaries between God and and people. Um, But we don't have priests today because, because all believers in Christ are priests, right? The priesthood of all believers. So a kingdom of priests then, what would they be? Well, they would be the whole nation that would mediate between God and the rest of the nations. They would be the source of salvation. They would be the way that the grace of God, the good news of God, goes to the nations. That's the ideal. That's the ideal of how, what a kingdom of priests would do. And... The provisions of God's covenant are fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. So through Israel, through the people of Israel, through one particular Israelite person, through Jesus Christ, salvation does come to the nation. Salvation does come to the Gentiles. Grace comes to the people through Jesus Christ, just like the promise of of Abraham that we're very familiar with in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed and Paul makes a big point to do, to say that this isn't talking about many it's talking about one seed one person this happens through it happens through Jesus Christ and he is the perfect mediator the perfect intercessor the perfect high priest Um, That's who he is. And, And here's what it says in Hebrews. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. So Jesus perfectly fulfills the priesthood. All these promises, all the covenants, um, the covenant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So back to Exodus nineteen, five and 6 again. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a holy nation. Again, so what does that mean? What does it mean to be a holy nation? Well, the word translated um, holy into English um, means, means this when, it, when it's talking about God. It's, it's an adjective, so it's describing a noun. Um, and so a holy nation would be describing the nation. But it's also used of God. And, and when it's used of God, it means to be separate, so distinct, different. Set apart, um, sacred, not subject to any human frailties or any human sin or any imperfections for, for God. So when it's used a people, it's not, it's not quite that, especially the last part. We're not perfect, right? But a holy nation would be separate. And to represent God would be set apart for God. And to be holy or working toward being holy, to be being sanctified. So the word sanctify is, the, is a verb that's based on the same root, same, same root of the, of the adjective, which means to set apart or to be holy or to make something holy, which would be to sanct- sanctify or consecrate. We're going to have that word come up in the rest of this chapter uh, after these first few words. So they are to be a holy nation, a nation that is set apart, different from all the other nations, bearing the very words of God, they're carrying the oracles of God And they are set apart for a purpose, to bring light to the Gentiles, to bring the good news to the nation. And, of course, all the provisions are fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ, through him specifically and through him alone. So when you see these three things here, my treasured possession, to me a kingdom of priests, in a holy nation. Notice that these are still things that God does. He doesn't tell us to make yourself into my treasured possession. He decides what his treasured possession is. Right? He makes us a kingdom of priests. He makes us a holy nation. That doesn't mean that that we are not to become increasingly sanctified. But we are because If we indeed obey his voice and keep his covenant, that is what we will be doing. So it's not stated specifically in here that this is God doing this in the text, but it's logical if you just think about it. You will be my treasured possession. So, who would do that? God would do that. Who would make them a kingdom of priests to God? God makes his priests. Who would make them a holy nation? Who would set them apart? God sets them apart. God does that. It's all the work of God. And Israel's role is to indeed obey his voice and keep his covenant. These are the words that you shall speak to Israel. So this is the Lord then wrapping up what he's telling Moses to go and tell the people. So God commands Moses to deliver those words. The words about obeying his voice. The words about keeping his covenant. The words about being a treasured possession in a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. In that passage that I was talking about in 1 in, in Peter, Peter does the same thing. The same Thing only he is speaking to Christians. So we'll go through that passage. And as you come to him, that's as you come to Jesus Christ, the living stone, rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. The honor of being God's treasured possession, that, that shows up in that passage in Isaiah. You are precious in his sight, honored, and I love you. That's what, that's what God says about his people. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word, and they were destined to do as they were destined to do. But you, our chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, okay, same concept there, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we're supposed to do. As believers in Jesus Christ, as the church, we are to be the holy nation, the royal priesthood, the chosen race to the rest of the world. We are to be that light that Jesus has called us into. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God On the day of visitation. That's Peter explaining what this means to be a holy nation. That we as believers are to be as a light for the Gentiles, just like Israel was to be. So, back to our last two verses of Exodus 19 1 through 8. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that Jesus had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So, here's what we covered. The provisions of God's covenant are Fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. And you shall be my treasured possession. Because we have faith in Jesus Christ, that's what we are. right? You shall be a kingdom of priests, that's what we are. Those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ. You shall be a holy nation, that's what we are. We have become, through faith in Jesus Christ the treasured possession of God, and nobody can snatch us out of his hand. Can't be done. We've been, we are the kingdom of priests meant to deliver the grace of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, to be a light into the darkness. That's what we're supposed to be as a holy nation. So if you don't have faith in Christ, you can be that if you have faith, if you become a believer in Jesus Christ can be a treasured possession of God part of the kingdom of priests and part of the holy nation so uh, if you want to talk about that sometime if you don't believe if you're not a believer be glad to visit with you about that um, so that you can be God's treasured possession so let's uh, close with our final or with prayer and then our final hymn. Father, we do thank you for um, your great kindness to us, that you have grafted us in to Israel, that we have become your treasured possession. Those who were uh, opposed to you while we were your enemies, you sent Christ to die for us, and make us your treasured possession. Uh, thank you for, the, for being so kind to us, for being so good to us. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.